0: for our Talmud Torah today for our learning today is sponsored by Naftali Tilson of Talmud, Israel it's an honor of the yardside of his dear parents Rabbi Yomuna ben Avram Leib Ishtam V'Yashar Torah and Rivka Bat Yaakov Yifter Keter Shem Tov and in the merits, myself and our entire coverage, that they should complete the dav cycle in good health and thank you to Rabbi Silber one more, another, one. another one, week of learning too? yes Aaron and Alana Weinberg, with gratitude to Hashem, on their 12th anniversary of, N, of the Rafu of their son, uh, Yonatan Shai. So, Baruch Hashem, 12th year. Uh, gesund for many years. Amen. Boy. Okay, so we are on the bottom of Ahmed Beis. Is that right? Sound right? Remember the dispute between Rav, Rav, oh yeah, we'll get Ravuna, but there was a dispute between Rav and Shmuel. And it relates to uh, fields by a stream. And they have a need to collect the water in some kind of body uh, to irrigate their field. Who has the legal right to do so first? Where Shmuel seems to say it's the one that's closest to the source on the top of the mountain, and Rav is of the opinion that listen, naturally it goes downward. So the individual who has the field on the bottom has the first right. So what do you do halachically? Now there there is actually a, a a general rule that when it comes to monetary issues where you have a dispute between Rav and Shmuel, you follow Shmuel. Here it seems to be, for whatever reason, otherwise, because uh, the Gemara is not gonna give us that general statement. So here we have it, Omar Rav Huna So this is, uh, look at the narrow lines, about six, seven uh, towards the bottom. You got that? Ravunabar says, Hashta, now, de lo itmar Hilchesa, that we were not taught regarding this issue, the bottom line, the halocha. Lokemar vilokemar, not like this master and not like the other master. So what do you do? Kol de alim gavar. So you have this concept, which the most basic understanding is uh, the one who is stronger will take charge. So if one of them is a big fellow and the other one's a small guy, you know who's gonna win. Uh, Others believe, no, come on, this is not a very Jewish way of working out things. In other words, you're telling me that since we don't know, uh, you're gonna let the more violent individual to walk away with the legal right? So perhaps it means that the one who could bring proof to court, the strongest proofs in court are the ones is the one that's going to win, but whatever it is, it is not something that's established. Bottom line, black and white, where the courts know what to do. Uh, it's a situation that is left with some kind of question mark, and therefore called the alim, the one that is more alim, which actually means violence. Believe it or not, gavar. Now, listen to the following story. It's very interesting. Now, you have Rav Shimi Barashi, so young Shimi Barashi, also lekamei de Abaye. He comes to Abaye. And Omar Lei, he says to Abaye, Lutvan mar beidna. In other words, I, I have an interest in learning with you. Can you set some time aside for me? Omar Lei? so Abaye responds, listen, uh, the reason I'm Abaye, the reason I'm a scholar is that I learn for myself. In other words, you cannot become a Torah educator if you don't study for yourself. And therefore he notes, I, 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 the time is designated for myself. So he said to him, listen, okay, during the day, uh, you're you're busy during the day, you cannot go ahead and teach me. So, nighttime. At night, at least, if you could set some uh, time aside to teach me. Omar, he says to him, listen, I'm busy. Isli, What do I have? I have a field. You need to irrigate the field. That's what I do at night, right? So therefore, I'm sorry, I'm busy with my field. Omar lei and Shimi Barashi says to him listen I have an option here Omar lei mashkina I'll take over I'll take over that responsibility of irrigating your field and I'll do it during the day and that's going to free you up at night velutman mar and at night you can teach me torah beautiful Omar lei that's uh, that's that's wonderful good deal Now, it appears that the field of Abaye was smack in the middle of this mountain. So there was a a, a water stream that passed through fields on the top of this mountain. And afterwards, it passes Abaye's field, and eventually it reaches the lower fields. So now, legally speaking, those fields that needed a, a, a body of water to be filled before you irrigate Abaye would not be the first one, right? Shmuel would tell you, Shmuel would say to you, the one that's on top gets first. Rav would tell you it's the one on the bottom. Everyone would agree that Abaye that is smack in the middle is not going to have the legal right to be first. But Shimi is a smart fellow here. And listen to what he does. Azel, so Shimi goes up to the fellow that's on the top of the mountain, Le'iloi, and he knocks on his door and he says, By the way, you cannot be the first one to fill your body of water or not. You cannot be filling your pits because I believe you should follow Rav, that the right is given to the fellow on the bottom. So you have no right. Okay, no one's going to argue with Shimi. Then he goes to the fellow who's on the bottom and says, you, you cannot be the first one to fill your pit, your cistern. Why? Because, So to each one he claimed, you don't have the legal right to be the first one. And he took the legal right, being smack in the middle. Okay? So that's what he did. So what did he do in the meanwhile? Miskar. He went ahead and he diverted the stream of water into that pit, and what did he do? So he worked things out, which Abaye would never, never do. Shimi was able to do it. He saved time, so he cut some corners. So it appears that his uh, daytime activity for Abaye was limited, and at the same time, he freed up Abaye that he could teach him at night. He comes to Abaye with a big smile, but Abaye says to him, come on, you know, that's cheating. You can't go ahead and do also like Rav, also like Shmuel, that's no good. Now, Abaye was extremely righteous and did not approve of the activity. So therefore, as a result, that which was yielded, that which was produced by that field... Abaye felt, I need to avoid that. Velota aminu Abaye Abaye would not taste the fruit the ahishas of that year. That's the story of Abaye. Now, another story that relates to water issues and diverting it was the story of Hanu b'nei bay b- b- harmach. So in bay harmach, they had an issue that they had a field next to a source of water, but it seems like it did not irrigate their whole field. So what they, they did do, they do? So we'll see the following. The azul... So here we go again. So we have a river or some kind of body of water that passes near that field called the Shanvasa. So what they did was is that they basically diverted it that instead of it passing by its field, it went through their field. Seems fair enough. Now, there are people that have fields on the upper part, and as we'll see soon, they're gonna be impacted by this diversion, but this is what they do. The Ahadru, okay, the Shaduah Beshili Nahara, and and afterwards they let it return back to its original source. Now, how did it impact the people on the top? So it was Atu Ilai, the individuals that were living uphill. It, it seems to be that water diverted under them impacts them so they come and they said to them you know what's happening happening here the river now due to the fact that it is flowing slowly throughout their field throughout the fields that are under us what's happening is is that water the, the the water itself has been slowed down And therefore, as a result, the speed, the reduction in speed is causing our fields to flood. So that perfect balance, the perfect amount of moisture needed uh, to go out and irrigate the field is not taking place. It slowed down the pace and it's impacting our field. So it seems like Rabbi was familiar enough, as we saw before, he took charge of irrigating his field. So he came up with a solution. In other words, before he addressed it halakhically, he tells them, listen, there's a solution to your problem. What does he tell them? Omar Lahu, karu behadayu fei purta. So what, what you should do is dig in your area, dig a trench where the water is passing. And if you create right, a ditch where uh, there's more depth to it, the water will increase in speed and you will avoid your issue. Okay, seems like a solution, but what happened was that when a few months later there's less water, so you know what happens. The law, water is going to be lower, and the small ditches that they create that have water making their way into their fields are not going to be filled. So Abaye, with all due respect, he might be, he might be good in ha- knowledge when it relates to irrigation, but he did not see that problem coming. Amrole kayav shimpeyre. It's impacting our fruit. Right? It's drying it up because at a time that there's not enough rain and it's deeper now, so those ditches that we have into our field are not being filled. Omar Lahu says, You know what? Now I have to address it halachically. And the people who are on the bottom part of the field actually damage the water flow. So therefore, Zilu Sliku Nafshayu Mahatam, you have to go ahead and remove yourself from the diversion because you cannot go ahead and play games with uh, this natural water source, if you're gonna be impacting others. Now, back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah was addressing those things that the rabbis tell us that for the sake of peace, we have to go ahead and establish law. One of them was when you have metzudot, when you have traps for chayavot veofot vedagim, yesh bahen meshum gezel. In other words, if you go ahead and enter into an area that's really not owned by anyone, and you put up these traps, Technically speaking, you did not acquire them. As we'll see soon, these are not traps that have a receptacle. It's, there's no ki bull, and therefore, you cannot really consider it like your vessels. These were traps, for example, strings with some kind of uh, hooks on them. Right? So technically speaking, if I put one up in public area, it's not really mine, but the rabbi said, for Darachei Shalom, we consider the person who, who set it up to be the owner. So what the Gemara is telling us is, that Be'avazli ve'ahudi, when it comes to uh, traps that actually have an area for the fish or the animal to be trapped into, a Bet-Kibul or a receptacle, in such a case, kula lo pligi. there's no dispute there. There's no question that since they have what Rashi calls a toch, there's no question that the owner who placed it there becomes the legal owner of the animals that have entran- entered. Ki pligi, there's only gonna be a dispute when it comes to alechi, some kind of uh, hook or trap, the kukri, a kukri, Rashi tells us, is that they would put a string with hooks in a river. That's what we are told. now. Back to the Mishnah, what does the Mishnah tell us? Metziah, Cheres, Shoteh, Koton, where the Mishnah tells us that technically they do not have the ability to acquire things. The rabbis say for the sake of peace, you have to allow their ownership to be considered ownership. And Rav Yossi tells us this is not just something that we are told as an ideal, but we give the Cheresh, uh, Shoteh, ve-katan, we give the deaf mute, we give the child a complete legal right that he could come to court with such a claim. And therefore, Rabbi Yossi says it's a gezel gamur. Explains Rav Kisda, line three on Samachalaf. Amar Rav Chizda, gezel gamor medivreihem. It is complete. In other words, we consider it to be the property of the minor, the property of the deaf, the property of the individual that does not have full mental capacity. And if you ask, what's the difference if it is considered completely his or not? That according to Rabbi Yossi, they could come to court with a claim. Even though uh, they have limit ability when it comes to ownership, they could come to court with such a claim. Now, what if you have, next case in the Mishnah, <speaking in> Ani <Spanish> ha-minakir So as you know, when you want to go ahead and harvest your olive tree, you do some shaking and the olive's fine. So the poor person makes his way to the top of an olive tree, and you can imagine that it's peya. He has the legal right to do so. He's shaking the tree, the olives fall. Technically speaking, you walk by, you can pick them up because he did not acquire it. It did not enter into his uh, utensils. But we are told that if I am sha akev, you should not be taking it. Now, what we are being told is, when do we say that this is something that's established by the rabbis for the sake of peace that is considered yes. theirs? That is only, says the bright Tatana. That is only true if it occurs on its own. But if he, on it physically, picks olives and throws them down by picking them, im, liket, venatan, bayad, if he does it with his own hand, this is, there's no need for the rabbis to establish something for the Rakhisholom because in such a case, he acquires it completely. Hareizeh, gezel gamur. If a person picks his olives, even if he puts it down to collect them, you have no right to take it from him. Now comes the story. Rav Kahana, Rav Kahana, have a ka'azil lehutzal, so Rav is traveling to Utsal, the city of the great Yoshea, Rav- as we'll see soon. So he's traveling to Utsal. As he gets close, He sees a person. The and the way Tosus explains is that there's a person that's throwing these branches of palm trees. They had some dates. And as he's throwing to collect, maybe it was before Sukkot, and he's cutting these palm tree branches, throwing them into a pile. And as he is doing so, there are some dates. So perhaps, perhaps Rahuna felt uh, that, or this is Rav Kahana felt that the intention of the individual are, is for the branches. If I pick a few dates, there's nothing wrong with that. He did not acquire it. And he had no intention for it. They cannot run termally. So a few of the dates fall off. Comes Rav Kahana, Azal. So so he picked a few of the dates and he ate them. That's what they did in Babylonia. They ate dates. Omar lay, but the individual who was doing so said to him, you know what, you you have no right to do so. I wasn't just banging the tree. They did not fall on their own. I did it bayad with my own hand. And if I did it with my own hand, I acquired it. And since I acquired it, you have no legal right to take the dates. With my own hand, I threw them down with my own hand. So, what Rav Kahana notices is that this individual is a scholar. He knows the law. He knows that there's a difference between just banging a tree and allowing things to fall, which then you don't really technically acquire it. And on the other hand, if you do it by hand, it's completely yours. So therefore he said to him, You must be from the town of Oshi, Oshia. You have such knowledge, right? You must be from a community that has a leader that teaches you. And he said that a person like Rav Yoshia, who is sure that those in his community are knowledgeable in areas of Jewish law and halachat, the righteous person is the foundation of the world. In other words, when is the righteousness in a community when its leadership is has an awareness that you have to educate others? Now, the Mishnah continues, even though if we have funds in a community and they are designated for our own community, which, although we are concerned for the welfare of humanity, the responsibility starts off with our own people. But if you have such funds and a person who is not Jewish, not a member of the community, comes and requests? You cannot prevent them. You allow them to take. And so to leket if there are within the community, if you have fields and there are gifts that are designated for the members of the community that need it, and others come, don't stop them. Mipnei darchei shalom for. Uh, the sake of a peace. Like when I, w- I was visiting uh, Baltimore uh, during COVID and the Star K had a service of uh, COVID tests which need- were needed to get back into Canada. And it was a service from my understanding for the community and there were others who came as well. That was a very big Dar Shalom for the sake of peace and it's done throughout the Jewish world that we have that sensitivity and awareness how we interact with the world. Dar Shalom. Torner Rabbon and the Rabbi started in the and this has guided us throughout the ages. You go ahead and provide for the needs of the poor even if they are not Jewish. It's done together. Right. You go ahead, you enter into a hospital room, and you realize that, uh, you know, especially in, in, in Ontario, you had four or five people in a room, you're visiting one of them, right, and you're being sure to give them words of encouragement, Encouragement, you, there are others there that need it, even if they're not members of the community, you do so. Derechei Shalom. You know, if lo there is a need to bury, and obviously we have a sensitivity not to bury in the same cemetery, but involvement to be sure that there's covet Ames applies to them as well, and all that is mipnei darkeh shalom. Okay, next Mishnah. Now, When you have standards uh, um, in areas of Kashrut, and you're interacting with someone that perhaps has different standards, there's a lot of sensitivity that's needed. Because on the one hand, you have every right, and perhaps in some cases, an obligation to stick to your traditions. At the same time, you have to be sensitive that you're not gonna go ahead and create a whole fight So how do you balance it? So this was something that our Mishnah is gonna guide us here. Now, in those days, it was a little bit more complicated than the world we live in today, because today, perhaps is only Kashrut. In those days, you had to deal with laws of purity and impurity okay, uh, laws in Eretz Yisroh that relates to uh, Shemitah, the fruits of Shemitah. What about if ma- it was a tithe already? Was it kept with the proper standards of purity? And then there were those in the land of Israel who ate their chulin betahara. You all know that if you were a Kohen and you're given truma, it has to be eaten in a state of purity. So too when it comes to the maizr, so too when it comes to the challah. What about when it comes to regular food? No such requirement, but there were those, known as the Prushim, the Pharisees, that were careful to eat everything, all food, even that which was whole, mundane, not holy, they ate it with... Standards of purity. What happens if they're interacting with relatives or members of the community that do not follow those standards? How do they work things out there? So to imagine you are uh, the wife of a a member of that community that's very careful with your standards and you come to the mill, you come to the mill and there's a woman working very, very hard grinding her, her, uh, her grain and she asked for some assistance. But you know that this is grain that was not tithed. You know that this is grain that perhaps is produce of Shemitah at a time that you're not supposed to be eating it. Can you assist her? Can you you assist? So these are issues that were extremely sensitive. And we have here a a Mishnah that gives us some guidance. So let's keep in mind uh, these challenges as we start reading our Mishnah. So rule number one. Mishnah. isha lechaverta. A woman is allowed to go ahead and lend to her follow, to to her, to, to another woman, to her colleague, to her friend. Hachashuda al Now, as you know, there's a time. Shemitah fruit needs is is. A, it's a mitzvah to eat it, but there are guidelines. And for example, at a time when you are no, when the specific fruit is no longer available in the field, a person has the obligation to do something called bi'ur. Bi'ur, what does that mean? Major dispute. Some say it actually means to get rid of it. So therefore, if I preserved my peaches, correct, in Eretz Yisrael, and it's Shemitah peaches, I'm eating it, that's wonderful. But if we reach a point later in the year when there are no longer any peaches in the field, come wintertime there are no peaches out in the field, I have to do a biur, what does that mean? The Rambam says I have to take it out of my house and get rid of it, goodbye. Others say no, what you have to do is you have to make it and then afterwards you could reacquire it. But there are guidelines because if someone does not follow those teachings and they have, for example, grain, and this is grain of Shemitah, and they did not follow these requirements, can I go ahead and lend such a person equipment to go ahead and, you know, work with that? Is that okay? No problem. No problem. It's 100% fine, even though you know for a fact that she's going to be using it, she's going to be using your oven for uh, a a Shemitah product. Don't worry about it. Aval, However, what you don't do is, Lo sovor velo titchan ima. What you shouldn't do is actually be messayer. For you to walk in to the granary, to, for you to walk into the, uh, to the milling station and actually assist physically, that already is problematic. So we're giving you our guidelines. For the sake of peace, go ahead and lend equipment. But for you actually to assist, bottom line is that there's a problem there. now. Case number, or situ- next situation is, if you have an Eishas Haver, the wife of a Haver, a scholar, that obviously they are following guidelines, guidelines that relate to purity and impurity, guidelines that relate to fulfilling the mitzvahs with Truman and Maser. Masheles Le'eishas a green light, is given for her to give equipment, right, to, to lend equipment to the wife of an Amor who does not follow, we're not told here which laws, we'll see soon, Napo, she could go ahead and give a sieve and a sifter, ubereres v'tochanes and it's permissible in this case, while in the first case we did not give a green light to actually assist with the production. Here it is permissible to go ahead and separate pebbles, and it's permissible to go ahead and even assist the Eshet Amaretz with milling. And it's permissible to go ahead and sift the flour. That's okay. Now we have to understand why is it that in the first case of the Mishnah we say, no no that's a problem. Don't be Messiah. And now we are told eh, it's okay. With Shemitah we're stricter than with other halachos. This needs clarification. But even here, aval tamaim. In other words, once water is added to the mixture and it becomes susceptible to tuma, as you know, things do not receive tuma unless it's a product that came in contact. It's the food came in contact with water. So once water was added. Lotiga ima should be, should be careful not to touch. Lefi. Now, why is there an issue in general? Because the rule is Ain avera. We are sensitive not to assist someone who is in the process of violating tradition, violating the law. And all which we've taught where we have been given allowances, that's shalom for the sake of peace. And ending, in essence, the mission of this chapter, we are told, During the Shemitah year, you shouldn't be working the field. But if your fellow non-Jew is working the field, you could go ahead and give him a tzlocha, wish him a good day, interact with him in a decent way, but if on the other hand it's a Jewish person who is ignoring the laws of Shemitah, avaloh Yedei Israel. But nevertheless, shalim and you can ask how they are doing, right, at all times, even though you're saying the word shalom, shalom is the name of the creator. It is permissible to do so to all, even to pagans. Why? Mipnei chay shalom, for the sake of peace. And that's what we are being told here. Now, what we need, number one, is to clarify why is it that in case number one of the Mishnah we are told, but be sure that you should not be actively misayah, don't be milling with them. Case number two, we say, yeah, yeah, you could go ahead and mill with them. So ask Gemara, what's the difference between the first and the second case? Approach number one is Abaye, Omar Abaye, And he says, when it comes to Shemitah, when it comes to Shemitah, it is a given that this women due to the fact that they do not uh, follow the laws, they are processing Shemitah goods at a time that it's prohibited, and therefore you cannot be Messiah, you cannot assist. On the other hand, in case number two, What's the concern? That they did not tithe, it's not Shemitah. They are items, perhaps they did tithe, perhaps they did not tithe, and therefore, and therefore comes up by and he says, that in case number two, rove the majority of ame haaretz ma'asrin. In other words, odds are good that it's permissible, that it's produce that was tithe that they did what they're supposed to do. So since odds are good because rove ame haaretz ma'asrin, so therefore, don't make an issue assist for Dar Shalom that's the approach of a buy. Rava Omar Rova says, no, no, you, you, that's not the case. Case number two is not talking about a concern that perhaps it wasn't tithed. It's not talking about a concern that it's something that's a violation of the law, but it's a violation of a standard. In other words, what we are talking about here in case number two, where we are told it is permissible to assist, it works as follows. The amha'oretz that the Mishnah mentions is not someone that violates halacha, it's someone that does not follow the standards of eating, Okay, So it works as follows. You have the, 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 the wife of the Pharisee, of the parush. He's careful to eat everything. They want to train themselves to always eat things in purity. They eat all food in purity. She walks into the mill station. There's a woman there struggling who is the wife of Amaharitz, which means she basically does not eat. The family does not eat their chulin <laughs> bitahara. Okay, So now, due to the fact that they're not really violating the law, they're just not following a high standard, obviously for the sake of peace, you should go ahead and assist. Now, who labels someone that does not eat their chulin betahara as a amaretz? Come on, who does that? So you know who does that? Rameir. And therefore, explains Rava, uh, Rava Amar hachabah ma'aretz of Rameir. And therefore, since we're talking about issues of purity and impurity that are, are rabbinic with no real concern, so therefore, obviously you assist. Now let's introduce Rameyer, de Tanya. Who is considered a ha'oretz, Kol she'einu ochel chulov betaharod ivrera So we're following the school of Ramer. he gives that the title of an ama'aretz to someone that doesn't need their khulin betara. So therefore, in such a case, obviously you should assist. If you have high standards, you know, be sensitive to the fact that if another woman who does not follow those standards needs assistance, do so for the sake of peace. Now, chachomim amrim, kol Aser ma'aser So chachomim say, come on, if you give such a title, it has to be that there's some kind of violation that's taking place. So therefore, the term is given to someone that does not tithe appropriately. Now, the only issue is, if you look at the following statement of the Mishnah, we are told that once it came in contact with water, you have to be more sensitive. Now, If if so, from what we are told in the last case, that once water came in contact with it, then you don't touch it, okay? So therefore, if only there you introduced issues that relate to purity and impurity, in other words, if you say, when water comes in contact, then already be careful because you're going to have to address a concern that relates to purity and impurity. So if case three makes reference to something that is talking about a purity and impurity, that seems to indicate that case two was not talking about purity and impurity. Michlal Deresha, it appears that the case, in case number two, In other words, you, Rabbi, want to tell me that case number two, where we're given a green light to assist is talking about a concern about purity and impurity, and it's someone that simply does not eat Cholom et but from the language of the Mishnah, it seems to be that only case number three is bringing Tuma and Tara into the discussion, because only there we talk about that issue. So the Gemara says, no, no, you're wrong. Reisha v'sefa, both case number two, and case number three, are talking about Tuma Vitahara. And what we're being told is the following, that when it comes to purity and impurity, there are two situations. If it's chulin, obviously you, need, you could be more lenient because there's no requirement to eat your chulin betara. Reisha, which is case number two, bitumas chulin, and therefore go ahead and assist. And there are far less concerns because it's only astringency. On the other hand, Seifa is talking about betumas chala, once the water comes in contact with the flower, you have an obligation to separate challah. Challah is given to a kohen. and there are standards of purity that are required. Case number three is telling us that if it comes in contact with water, very subtly you need to be sensitive to, be sure that it is pure, and therefore be sure not to touch it. Okay, now, with all the information we have up until this point, seems things seem to be settled. That you could go ahead, and in some cases, yes, assist; other cases, not. But listen to the following, which is going to create an issue. Vira minio amid beis Khanin. It is permissible to go ahead and milk u'mafkidim, and you could also deposit. In other words, that's a concern we're going to be addressing now. What if I have something that has high standards? Okay, I have a. a pure grain. Grain, I was careful that it did not become tameh. The question is, can I deposit by someone that does not follow those standards? Do I need to concern myself that perhaps they're gina, switch it. Okay? So we are told now, umaf you could deposit, etzel ochlei shviz, by those who do not follow the guidelines of shmita. etzel ochlei perosei and Betuma. It is 100% Fine to deposit, okay? Now, what Rashi points out is that the word tochanin does not mean that you could assist them with milling, but what it means is that even though it's a final product, and there are already requirements that relate to Meiser, for example, even though it's a final uh, a product, you could go ahead and deposit it, worry not, they're not going to switch it. That's what we are told. But what you should not be doing, aval lo, do not assist le ochle shavis. In other words, if you are dealing here with grain that is being processed of someone that ignores the laws of shemitah, don't assist them. Velo le ochle perosehen betuma. And so too, if they eat their uh, their fruit, their produce, right, their grain in a state of tumah, Do not go ahead and mill with them. Now, we learned in the Mishnah that milling with them is okay. There is no concern. That was case number two, you can mill with them. And here we're being told, do not mill with them. How do we deal with this contradiction? Omar Abaye, so Abayi is gonna tell us the following, that you should know, Hossam, that this case is talking about, bekohen ha l'echol truma betuma askinon. In other words, when do we say that it's okay to mill with them? That's if we are dealing with non-kohanim and we're dealing with foods that are chulin, and it's only a high standard of eating chulin bitara. So there, you don't have to concern yourself. You could work with them. But if you're dealing with a kohen, for a kohen, the requirement to be in a state of purity is not a stringency. It's a must. You must eat your truma in a state of purity. In such a case, and that's what we are talking about here, you have unfortunately no ability to assist them in the milling, because if they're impure, and they're in essence, you know, making truma impure with that action, you cannot assist. The havelay, truma de So we're dealing with the Torah law prohibition. So what we are being told now is that this statement, where we are told it is okay to deposit, right, there's no concern, you could deposited by them. They're not going to switch it. Depositing, yes. Assisting with the milling? No. Why? It's truma. And they are not careful. This These kohanim, unfortunately, are not careful with the laws of purity and impurity. So therefore, do not assist. But depositing is fine. Wait a second. If so, if that's your explanation, you could tell me that you're allowed to deposit. Listen to this. Maskidim, it is okay to deposit Truma Esel, Yisrael ama Aretz. If you have an Yisrael who's in ama Aretz and the Kohen needs to travel and he deposits, you know, this barrel full of grain, it's okay. You know why? Because if he's in the isrol has an understanding that Truma is something I distant myself from, right? They're not Hamish with it, right? They're not comfortable with it. So even though he's an Amar Aretz, since he's in isrol it's okay to deposit. But the Kohen, the Kohen, Amar since he thinks, what do you mean I'm a Kohen? My father was a Kohen as well, and even my grandfather was a Kohen. So obviously I could touch that, what's the big deal, I'm a Kohen. There, since he's an Amar you have to be aware of his attitude, and you cannot deposit the law etzel kona am mi What's the reason? Sheli bo He feels very comfortable with the truma. So you, we just explained earlier that we are okay with depositing the grain by the kohen. And now we are being told that's not acceptable because libo gasba. How do you deal with the contradiction? Right. So in what case can we, yes, deposit by the Cohen? So comes we're talking about an earthenware vessel that it is not you cannot transfer tuma by touching it on the outside. The only way you can impart tuma on the food is by touching it from the top but is samit patil? it is sealed with a string it's sealed well this is their t- the tupperware of once upon a time and therefore since it is sealed and you know that they did, you could you could uh, uh, close it in a way that there's an indication that it was not opened, in such a case, there's no concern. Why is there no concern? He's not going to be able to touch it. There you could deposit. Well, the Gemara asks, wait a second, there actually is a Tumah that could be uh, imparted on such a situation because consider uh, yourself, uh, might be moved, which does impart Tumah. So therefore, the Gemara is going to say that there's a much better and more logical way to address this issue. When do you say that it is a problem to deposit it by them? That's if it already became susceptible to Tuma. When is there no issue? Be- before it came in contact with water. Elo, Omar, Avir, Miel, alokasha. there's no contradiction. Kan, shuru. if they came in contact with water and therefore they're susceptible to Tuma, obviously there's going to be a concern if you give it to the Kohan, Amars it's because he's going to feel I have every right to touch it. Khan, and where is there no concern? Bepeiros shalom, uchshiru, okay? Now, another contradiction. Listen to this, listen to the following statement. If someone is taking his, his grain to a, a millhouse run by a kuthi, or letochen someone that does, simply does not follow the guidelines of purity. hare elu okay? In other words, you, you don't have to concern yourself that, that it was switched. And therefore, when it comes to Myser and when it comes to Shvis, you don't have to concern yourself. Aval, where is there yes a concern? Lo le Tuma. But for Tuma, you have to yes concern yourself. Okay? Now, this seems to be on the surface a contradiction, but it's not a major contradiction because we already mentioned earlier that if it came in contact with water, we are concerned. So in other words, this was a, a this brysa was brought into the base medrash here, but if you think about it, it's not really such a strong question because we were already provided an answer earlier that there are situations that you have to be concerned for Tuma if it became, if it came in contact with water. So the Gemara asks, "Hi, this statement, what, what, what kind of question is that? Did we not already explain earlier that there's a difference between if they came in contact with water or not? So, you know, what's now, what, was, what, was, what were they thinking when they brought this into the base for discussion? So the Gemara clarifies that they brought this into the discussion Because they want to deal with a contradiction from this statement to a different statement. They want to ask a question from something else on that statement. And here we go. We are told here that when you bring these goods, you don't have to concern yourself that there's some kind of switch that occurred and whatever they are, you don't have to concern yourself what we are being told and which what seems to be indicated from the earlier statements, that concern of touching does exist, concern of switching does not exist, But there's a problem because we're going to present now cases where there is a concern that the person you deposited, these items that are pure, that are tithed, that are not shemitah. there is a concern in some cases that the person who is hosting it might switch it around. Listen to this. So if a person has in-laws who do not follow his standards and they don't eat their food in the state of a purity, they are in Amar Aretz, for example, or if, let's say, they are Amar Aretz, to such an extent like chachomim that they don't even tithe. So what you do is, if they don't tithe, and you deposit things by them, so what you have to do is, before you deposit by your mother-in-law, you have to go ahead and tithe that which was placed there. And so too, and after when you pick it up, you have to tithe again. Why? What's the concern? What's the mother-in-law gonna do? Right, What's she gonna do? She's gonna see that the grain of her uh, son-in-law is uh, perhaps not keeping up its freshness. So she's gonna go in Switch it, okay? So you just told me earlier that concern for switching never exists, but you bring a mother-in-law into the picture, everything becomes a problem, right? I hope this is not post. So that's a problem. So the Gemara says, wait a second, there there's a reason, there there's a reason. So in general, when you deposit something by someone, even if they don't have your standards, even if perhaps they don't follow the halacha, worry not, they're not gonna switch it, they have nothing to gain but when it comes to a mother lahasum there on the other hand there's a reason given taima the reason is Omar Ravuda Rav says rotsa hibetakan what the mother law wants is that her daughter should be living with a happy fellow and not be an agitated fellow. So she wants her daughter to be happy with the husband and the husband to be acting normally. And she's concerned for embarrassment and it works as follows. You'd go to your mother-in-law and you deposit the grain. You come back two weeks later and she realizes as you are approaching that the grain started spoiling. What's the son-in-law gonna do? Blame the mother-in-law. Ah, you put it in the wrong room. Why did you not put it next to the dehumidifier, right? So therefore, she... You know, to protect her daughter from the angry husband, and to honor, you know, that the, the son-in-law should be treated uh, in an honorable way. What's she going to do? She's going to change it, not because she wants to go ahead and make his life difficult. Adrabah, she has a desire. She's interested in Takonas bita busha and That's what we are told here. So, mother-in-laws are indeed. Uh, special, now the Gemara says, wait a second and you're telling me that this is only particular to a situation of a mother-in-law listen to the following, you have a yeshiva student living in town by someone, right? and he has some grain, and he gives it to his hostess, she does not follow the standards that he follows, she's not careful with tithing, right? And he is. So therefore, there too we are told, ma'aseres shuno selo, hemeno. He has to tithe that which, right, he gives, because she might eat it. And when he gets it back, he has to tithe again, hemeno mipnei, So you see clearly that people do switch. The Gemara says, there too, there's a reason. Hosam moria Omrah. There she says to herself the following. Bar berav, the, the, the student of the rabbinic school, leichol chamima, should eat hot, the ono echol Kariro. so this is Rashi's reading. Rashi's reading is the following, that if she sees that there's a decline in quality, she says to herself, uh, you know what, if I'm not going to switch it, he's going to be eating lower quality, food that's spoiling, and I have better one. He's a Torah scholar. Let him eat the Better the better food, and therefore she's going to switch to honor him. Now that's a nice reading of it. There's another reading of it that uh, the rabbinic student should eat good food. In other words, you know, he's he's, a rabbinic student living off others. You know, what's he achieving? He's not in the workplace. So the cynical reading it, which some rishonim take, is that she switch it. uh, Barbe Rab should go ahead and eat, uh, you know, karira and hamir. In other words, let him eat the low quality, and I'm going to eat. The higher quality. Interesting two readings of this statement, okay? Asked Gamor Vakati La Alma you're telling me that. Uh, in other scenarios, there is no concern. Listen to this b'raisa. Let's start this Khaver, A woman, a wife of a scholar. It is fine for her to work together and assist in the milling. But that is only true if the scholar's wife is in a state of impurity. When she is pure, she has to be careful that she should not be impacted by the tumah that is ignored by the wife of the Amaretz. Even if she is impure, she should not go ahead and be milling with the Eshes Amaretz. Because the wife of the Amaretz she feeds her. Okay? Which indicates that the Eshes Amaretz is actually going to be taking grain that belongs to someone else and feeding her. So obviously, you see that people are not sensitive to the property of others. You know, just, just to finish off this discussion, there's a fascinating uh, chazonish that I think would be uh, quite beneficial for us uh, to understand. You know, we, we had a situation in the Mishnah where allowances are given, right, for you to go ahead and give equipment to someone that is not following your standards, right, even though they may use it. Uh, for things that are prohibited, allowance is given to work together to be tochenes in some situations, right? Where they there might be a violation, and the Gemara says, "Don't worry about it." Says Zabaya, because rov ame haaretz ma So wonders the Chazanish, why not just be machmir? In other words, we're dealing here with issues. Uh, Chumrah is a good thing. Says the Chazanish, you you cannot go ahead and be machmir. Listen to his words, because if you're going to be machmir right, and just not do it, you're violating something else. Because by being machmer and not assisting and not treating them with decency, If you're gonna be machmer, you know what you're gonna be causing? Machlokas, okay? We have an obligation, maybe they're not following our standards, but we have an obligation to go ahead and be sure that they are living and taking care of their needs and doing good for them, and how much more? So kol sheken shelol leharbot sina. So therefore, this is a situation. Don't be machmir if your chumras are going to bring about a sinai and a hatred. Incredible words. And therefore, it is something that Chazal teach us. Lo nigrom yo yoter And therefore, it is important. And therefore, what the rabbis want is, in such a case in doubt, be sensitive to the shalom. And that's what we are all about. Everyone, keep up the good work, and have a wonderful day.